So, and I don't know where I'm at here. Oh, we, we, I do know. We've been in verse, uh, uh, the first uh, few verses here of chapter 2 in uh, Colossians. And so we're going we're gonna to move ahead today and talk about uh, what Paul has to say here concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just, it's really to me precious what he has to say regarding us and our walk with Christ. Now we we did down to verse uh, verse 5 uh, Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5 so we're going to pick up with verse 6 and then we'll just go as far as we can go. I'm going to, I'm going to do a Mark Tyson. We'll go as far as we can go and when time's up we'll quit. So uh, um, I'm going to read this passage and we may not get through the whole thing so That'll be okay. Beginning at verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanks in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, of the world and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you also uh, were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, as we've been looking at Colossians, remember this, by way of rehearsal, we talked about the fact of where Colossae was located in Asia Minor, and here was a church that was going through some potential difficulties and uh, Epaphras had gone to uh, meet with Paul and consequently Epaphras carried this letter back to the, his church. It's well believed that he was the founder of this church. He started it. And when he says here that, that uh, he says continue in the faith as you were taught that it was Epaphras who had taught this local congregation uh, concerning Christ. And so now, and Paul's writing to them, uh, apparently because the Epaphras had come with some concerns about some false teaching that had infiltrated the church there. And so this is his response. This is the way he's dealing with the problem. In, in that culture, in that day, you might remember, as I've mentioned two or three times already, and we'll say again, 
Um, they, you know, m- most of the culture there had many gods. They believed in a mul- multiplicity. If you went to Rome, uh, hundreds, sometimes hundreds of gods that they believed in, and each one, you know, had various things that dealt with it. And uh, you know, one of the one of the things that you recognize or, or should we ought to recognize about these gods that they worshipped, and by the way, also lived in fear of, is that they were not expressive of love in any sense of the word. They were harsh. They were controlling. And and so people lived in great fear. Colossians calls it the powers of darkness. And they were captivated by that. So when they came preaching the gospel and they preached Jesus and the resurrection, ain't alive. I mean, that was freedom. They, they understood that Jesus had defeated those gods, those powers of evil. And so to receive Christ then, to receive him in the knowledge of that resurrection power meant that defeat was for them. And they could walk away and live in freedom because of the power of the gospel. So now Paul here, he's writing to them, instructing them about their necessity of making Jesus Christ central to their faith. He was everything. He is everything. And he's still everything for you and I today. If you look at verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, you might think, well, that was at the moment of conversion. Well, it probably would include that. But the word received here is the standard word that has to do with somebody teaching you. A teacher. It's receiving instruction in Christ. Um, Turn over to 1 Corinthians, if you would. I don't want to look at uh, just a few passages regarding that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. And this new Bible here, my pages are sticking together. Come on here now. Well, there we go. Finally got it. Um, In verse 1, Paul says there, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. In other words, they accepted the teaching that Paul presented to them in the gospel. And then he says, In which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And then you look at verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So you see that Paul had received instruction. Of course, we know that was a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. And now he is passing on the things that he learned about the Lord Jesus. And he was passing them on to the believers in Corinth. And they received the instruction. Now, if you'll turn over also to, um, uh, let's go look at Galatians chapter 1. 
and verse 9. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9. In, in Galatians 1 9, Paul says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. So they, in the same manner as those at Corinth, in the same manner as those at Colossae, they received the gospel. Oh, we'll just look at one more. Let's look at, um, oh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I think it's verse 13. Yep. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. Where Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he said, We also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. I, I love that verse, and uh, I don't know, I just, I embraced it, uh, that, that they, they fell in love with the word of God and received it as it is, the word of truth, the word of God. And then if you look over at, um, well, in my Bible, I just look down at chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul, say, and, and Paul says there, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So there was instruction concerning receiving the Lord Jesus, and much of that instruction had to do with how they were to walk as, as a Christian. What kind of difference did it make in your life? And that's really what Paul's dealing with in, in all these passages, but particularly here in Colossians chapter 2. The instruction that you receive should have an effect upon how you live. It should change the way you live. Now, we're going to see, as Paul goes on, when he says, so walk in him, or so be walking in him. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, there's something interesting there. There's an article before the word Christ. As you receive the Christ, Jesus the Lord. A clear indicator that Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is the Messiah. As you therefore receive the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, if you have your, um, your, your little paper with the prepositions on it, the Greek prepositions, and you remember the circle right in the middle of it, and it had to do with that little word, E-N. It's the same as our English word, I-N. And the point of all that is that when you receive Christ, you are placed in Him. And so Paul is telling us, if you are in Him, so walk in Him. 
You're not outside the circle anymore. And we'll see more of the application of this as we continue in this passage. But the point of it was, you are no longer outside Christ. You are now in Him. And so whatever it, it means to be in Christ, you need to change your life to fit what Jesus taught. And, and, and really what Paul learned from the Lord Jesus and relayed them to all the churches that he visited, the ones that he founded, the ones that he wrote to, like this one. Now when he goes, he goes on to mention four things here that ought to be a result of being rooted in him or, or walking in him. He says rooted. Rooted, God comes from vegetation, a plant, a tree, whatever. To be rooted means to be grounded, to be firm, to be in a specific place. And then he goes up and then he changes the metaphor to building. He goes from planting to building. And I like this word here because the word that's used here has to do with building layer upon layer. Just like you would maybe raise up a, a brick on a building, layer after layer. Well, the implication is that you and I in our Christian walk, you know, you don't become a mature Christian overnight. It's a, it's, it's a steady layer by layer growth. Just like he says here, it's a building. And you're built up in him. Again, same as we just mentioned, you are in him. And he goes on then and says, established in the faith, made firm in the faith, just like being rooted means. And then the last one, he's, or well, he says, as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And that's the last one. Our lives ought to be filled with joy because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the hope that we have in him. As we were standing around uh, the bedside of Jimmy's mom, you know, there was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of crying going on. But you know, there was a lot of laughter and joy all at the same time. It's an enigma. How can you be so sad and grieving, you know, at watching someone leaving this earth, drawing their last breath, lots of tears flowing, and yet, at the same time, able to step back and laugh and talk about the joys of passing through that dimension from this material world over to the supernatural world. You know, to me, that was one of, one of the greatest comforts uh, is to realize that that's all death is. It's a passing from this life over to the next. And so they were, he says you should be abounding in thanksgiving. Now he goes on then in verse 6 to warn them, uh, excuse me, in verse 8, uh, to see to it that no one takes you captive. Now this was the problem they were having. False teachers were coming in. They were teaching bad doctrine of some sort. They were bringing in other things. Some of the uh, Jews were bringing in things that they wanted to keep with their Judaism. They didn't want to give it up. 
the clear teaching from Paul is that you know, when you were placed in Christ, all of that has been abolished and done away with. And this is where I think Messianic believers, you know, miss the boat. They want to bring in these different practices of Judaism so they can keep their Jewishness. When Paul says, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. You are all one in Christ. There is no more distinction like that. So then he, he, he tells them to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy is not necessarily a bad thing. If philosophy is anchored to the truth, if, you know, if, if your philosophy comes right out of this book, that's okay. But if it's man's philosophy, if it comes from the old world that you just left, when you receive Christ and have now been placed in him, then you're looking at the wrong thing, wrong kind of philosophy. There's nothing out there in that realm, in the realm of darkness, that can help you on your way to a better life or the life to come. It only comes because you're anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says the great fear is you're going to be captured you allow someone to come into your assembly like that and teach false doctrine, weak, a weak Christian can be taken in, and if you accept that, then that person has you. They've got you. You think about all the, all the preachers on TV, and there are some people that just, they're, they're captured, they're taken in. We just heard somebody yesterday, I think it was, talking about uh, a particular preacher on TV. You know, they just fell in love with him. Well, you better be careful. Remember what we said last week. Somebody comes in, they read a verse out of the Bible, and then they lay it down, and that's the last time you see it. And they go on and preach. Maybe they'll preach something that is totally relevant and, and in harmony with the truth of God's word. But frequently and very often, they start teaching and preaching their own things. And they gain a following with it. And then when men gain a following, then they're, how do I want to say it? Their arrogance, their power, their pride begins to well up because I've got this following. And that's what was going on here in Colossae. Paul's warning them about that. Don't let any of these people capture you. And, and then he goes on to tell them with this empty deceit, according to human tradition. Not according to the tradition of Christ, but according to human tradition. According to the, el now the, the, the ESV translation here says elemental spirits. Um, and I can't remember now, is it King James says something like basic principles? What is that? New NASB says elementary principles. Elementary principles. There's, there's a, huh? Okay. 
there's a lot of disagreement over exactly what Paul's referring to here. It's a real unusual word. Uh, but the general idea most would you know hold to is that you know, you know it's tied to this thing here of human tradition. It, it, it's not tied to scripture, so it's wrong teaching. And you know this is what this is what was being presented according to the elemental spirits of the world. So again, we're back here to this outside of Christ. Here they are, they're living, they're, they're believers, they're living in, in, in the sphere of Christ's life, and then they want to go back outside here and let somebody teach them these things and then be captured by that. Or, frequently, they want to go back to the old way of life and try to bring those things into their Christian walk. And it doesn't work. It's a false way to try to live the Christian life by trying to build up your own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. Now, he goes on in, in, in verse 9, for in him, he says, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, it's important to realize, why does Paul come to say this right now? Because he's telling them everything you need to know in your walk with Christ is, is found in him and nowhere else. And, and, and he, when he says the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, this carries the whole idea of permanence. If you go back to, to this, for me, I flip back to chapter 1 and verse 19. And you may remember we talked about this because Paul's already mentioned it. Look at chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And we noted that that was an aorist tense. That's indicating permanence. Well, there's nothing changed over here. The only thing is it's a present tense. So what is he trying to tell us then? It's still permanent and it continues today. Nothing has changed about you know, God's dwelling in Christ. The word dwell implies permanence. But then he also says bodily. Bodily. How did that come to be? That God would dwell in him bodily. Well, that really ought to take us immediately right back to the incarnation when Jesus was born as a human. He, had a, he was a man of flesh. And the fullness of God, the fullness of deity, dwelled even in that little baby. But also it continues on even to the present day. It would, it would also mean that uh, God's deity, the fullness of it, dwells in Christ now in his glorified body. I mean, nothing's changed there. The fullness of God still dwells in him. And that's what Paul's trying to emphasize to the believers at Corinth is everything is centered in Christ now that you have received him. Don't be going, be going, going, going. The scriptural teaching of Christ to try to find 
whatever you're looking for. Satisfaction in this life, to help you with your walk through life, to deal with life's problems, whatever they might be. Now, Paul's talking about that in, in well, let me just continue to read that verse. He says, and you have been filled in him. Do, do you see what Paul's dealing with here? He says, all the fullness dwells in Christ and you have been filled in him. To be in Christ is to gain the fullness of Christ. You know, all we have access to everything we need, in other words, in Christ. And I love, um, I was reading this one commentary, and it just really shocked me when I read it, but I sure liked what he said. You know, concerning this, he was saying there that when you have been filled in him and you have access to everything that there is in Christ to prepare you for the age to come. And you don't read that very often. I mean, in our circles we do. I would have expected that. This particular guy I was reading, uh, oh, you've got to be kidding me. He said that. But it's, it's the idea. All that we need is in Christ. And the point of the whole thing is that our goal is preparation for the age to come. Now, he says he's the head of all rule and authority. There is no other that can compare to the Lord Jesus. There is no other that even can be found beside him, equal in authority. None. He is the head. He's over, he's over all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, to me, this is really important. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Every Jew had circumcision in the flesh. This circumcision, Paul says, it wasn't made with human hands. So you got to ask yourself, well, what kind of circumcision is he talking about then? Well, he says then, a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, that's an unusual phrase. And, and it, it has a spiritual application, but it just simply means that it has nothing to do with the physical flesh. And he says, in other words, the putting off of the body of flesh that, that's not a literal thing. We still have our earthly bodies. We haven't put them off. But by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, we've got to turn back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Paul just nails this straight on in verse 20, 28. You, you see what Paul says there? No one 
is a Jew. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Now that is, that is a circumcision made with hands. That's a circumcision that's outwardly. Paul here in, in, in teaching the Colossian believers says, your circumcision occurred without hands. No human hands involved in this. So what does it mean then? Well, let's continue on reading. He says, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. Well, that's what Paul's talking about over here. It's the same thing. This circumcision made without hands has to do with a circumcision that took place right here. It took place when you received Christ as your Savior. And it's permanent. Then Paul tells us, he goes on the rest of that verse um, in Romans. He says, it's a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. Stop and think about a Jew. There were probably, I guess, through the whole course of Jewish history, several million of them. And they were all under this law concerning circumcision in the flesh. Do you ever go back and think about, well, I wonder who in the Old Testament would have been one of these guys right here, a Jew inwardly, one who was circumcised in the heart. Well, if you start, if you if you just ponder that for a while, and then go back and start reading the Old Testament, uh, and particularly reading in the Psalms, and all the mention, oh, I could, I went through the other day and marked heart. No, that was in Proverbs. I marked heart. I need to go back and do that in Psalms now where the heart is mentioned and how frequently the psalmist refers to heart or the writer of Proverbs refers to the heart, how our life is dictated by the heart, the change that takes place. So you think about individuals like, uh, I think probably the first one you think of would be somebody like Moses, David, Joshua, Abraham, all of these who were believers. As a matter of fact, if you went back to Hebrews chapter 11 and you were to read all the saints that are list, listed there, every one of them would qualify as those who were circumcised in heart. In other words, they lived a life of righteousness, of holy godliness and purity. And they had a sincere devotion to God that could not be broken in any way. And so this circumcision of Christ, he says, and he goes on to mention this, having been buried with him in baptism. Well, is this water baptism? Or is it some kind of other baptism? He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, there's some kind of association here that Paul is making that when we have received Christ and we have been placed in him, 
that there is a baptism and it took place right here in the heart and then the identification is is it in the same way that Christ was raised from the dead he said so you have also I'll turn back again to Romans I should have told you to keep your finger there Romans chapter 6 and while you're doing looking that I'm going to take a little liberty to grease my throat here man look, let's look at um, chapter 6 verse 1 Paul says there what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound think again about what we just said if you have been placed in Christ and you were operating and living in that sphere Paul says should we go out here to sin so that we can get more grace and he says no way God forbid how can you says how, uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus who have been baptized I'm sorry in, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life that is to say there was a spiritual resurrection that occurred in our heart and we were baptized in Christ buried with him when he was in the tomb and then when he was raised to newness of life same things happened to us we have a newness of life. Paul's reminding them of that now. He's saying, you have been taught all these things by Epaphras. Don't let the philosophy and empty deceit captivate you or capture you and take you in. He tells them there in verse, um, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now notice that. That, that you who were dead in trespasses and sins that's outside of christ that's before you were placed in him and he calls that the uncircumcision of your flesh they were uncircumcised but then he goes on to tell them god made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses all of our sins that we had out there in Christ they've all been forgiven by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands now again this phrase is a uh, controversial uh, regarding just exactly what is Paul referring to here um, is he referring when he talks about this um, these legal demands is he talking about the Old Testament Torah or is it something else is it a, is it a record of debt that you and I have and that might in my opinion most likely be what he's talking about you and I have a record of debt 
that was out here. But when we were placed in Christ, all of that out there is canceled. It's gone. And I know that that's a big struggle for a lot of Christians is to realize that's gone. You don't deal with that anymore. But what you do have to deal with is your wayward walk with Christ in, in, the, in the sphere of his life and failing to live for him. In other words, committing sins now, deviating from that righteous path that the psalmist talks about or that Paul is talking about here, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And we deviate from that. You remember we read that earlier in chapter 1, and um, what is that verse there? I can't hardly read that thing. So it is um, verse 23. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So I hope you see the distinction that Paul's making all along the way. That what happened over here outside of Christ and those you were dead in trespasses and sins and now you have been made alive in Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised to newness of life, that has all been washed away. It's done. It's gone. Now he's dealing with your walk in Christ. Now he's dealing with what you and I how we live every day. Are we staying true, loyal, faithful to him? That's what Paul's talking about. And he's warning the believers at Colossae concerning these false teachers, don't be taken captive by them. Everything you need is found in Christ. So he says, you that were dead in sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all these uh, trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. Most likely those things out here, that record of debt. And then he says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All of those things out here were set aside. They were nailed to the cross. They're abolished. Those sins are completely forgiven. So I hope that as a believer, you don't let your past sins weigh you down. You don't let your past sins destroy your present walk with Christ. And that you're walking in doubt and you're walk, not walking in faith. So he set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. <clears throat> Again, a lot of disagreement over exactly what Paul is referring to here. And I have a hard time accepting what I read several commentators, uh, their, what they say, that he's really talking about not the evil powers but, they, but the, the good angels those who were present at the giving of the law in Mount Sinai as the book of Hebrews tells us 
and that he was victorious over that. I have a hard time accepting that one. I don't know why, it just doesn't jive with me. It seems to me that it fits better to talk about these as being the, the gods that are over the nations of the earth, including, well, America, every nation on the earth. And you know, we've talked about that in the past, that God, at the Tower of Babel incident, God placed over the nations of the earth various and, uh, for lack of a better way to say it now, angelic beings, supernatural beings who exist and live in the supernatural realm, God placed them over the nations. And if you go to the book of Daniel, uh, you know, he mentions the one over the, uh, Greece, the one over Persia, and he mentions the one over Israel. You remember his name? Who? Michael. He mentions three of them right there. Every nation has a God over it. I, I think that's exactly what Paul is referring to here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. You know, and, and this word triumphing over them in him. This, this word triumphing has to go back to, and it goes back to when a Roman general would go out and fight a battle for Rome and he would gain the victory then he would bring all the spoils that he had collected plus the prisoners and all the other officers of those armies that he had just defeated and he would parade through the streets of Rome he put them to open shame in other words and that's what Paul says God has done to those gods that are over these nations. He has put them to open shame. And so if you think back again one more time to what we were just saying, that if you lived in this culture in the first century that we're dealing with here, and your life was surrounded by all of these gods that that culture worshipped, whether it was on that way on the road to the crossroads that we talked about, whether it was in the marketplace or in their homes or wherever they encountered these false gods. When they heard Paul preach the resurrection and they believed, they were happy and thrilled to death because they knew they had been delivered from those gods. They now enjoyed freedom like they had never had before. And if they were really fully understanding, they would just turn and walk away from all that was left of that old life. Now, I'm sure they were just like us. There were some that still struggled with that and had difficulties trying to let go of all those old gods. But if they were truly dedicated to Christ and the gospel was made clear to them, which I think the Packers did, and Paul certainly does, freedom. I mentioned before in Acts chapter 2, I was always puzzled. For years I was puzzled about Peter preaching the gospel the way he did. And he never said anything about being born again. He never said anything about believing, well he didn't imply about believing on Jesus, but he emphasized the resurrection. And when he did that, it says 
multitudes came to Christ. 3,000 of them believed. I couldn't figure that one out. Why did they respond to that message? Well, it was very simple now. They understood that in the resurrection, those gods had all been defeated. And now they had liberty, freedom to live under a God who was a God of love. They didn't have to live under a God of fear. And so they enjoyed that blessed freedom. And we have the same kind of freedom. We just have to be careful that we don't worship, make idols out of the things of this present world over here and try to bring those things into our little circle of Christian life and Christian living. You better be careful of that. Enjoy the freedom that's in him. This is all that Paul was trying to get across to the believers at Colossae. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the mercies that you extend to us so freely and the grace the grace, Father, that you show to us and when we don't deserve it. But when, when we bow in faith and our hearts acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, those gods over the nations are not Lord anymore. Jesus is Lord. That you accept each one of those. We thank you for accepting us with hearts of faith. In Jesus' name we pray.